0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Lala. And Lala was in a 10-year relationship with a narcissist that loved to use all sorts of abusive tactics, including extreme versions of the silent treatment, control, and rage. It's a story about fighting for your belief in what a family should be, hoping for change, and the realization that it will never happen. And now, before we get to our episode with Lala, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout out to all of our friends on our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for just being a great group of people. So hello to all of you out there. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., Please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show when it comes to rankings. Now, if you want to be part of our show, go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and fill out the guest form and we will go from there. But the quickest way to be part of our show is to also... Go to our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com, and read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page. It's always floating around. It's hard to miss. There's a button there that says send voicemail, press it, and away you'll go. We're accumulating these letters to have a volume three of that episode, so send in those voicemails, but if you want me or my old pal Melissa to read your letter... Just send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and we will read it for you. And what else do we have here? Oh, we have a new podcast, everyone. If you haven't heard yet, called Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. And it is now available for your listening pleasure. Our first five episodes have been released. Our last episode was with Elizabeth Barre. And we discuss spiritual abuse and spiritual healing. So go take a listen if you haven't yet. Next week, we'll be chatting with Debbie Tudor once again. And we'll be discussing the five questions she gets asked the most by adult children of narcissists. That's also going to be a great listen too. So if you want to support this podcast, use one of the many therapists that we have on our directory at abusetherapy.org. If you're looking for a therapist or a coach, please do go to abusetherapy.org. And if we don't have someone in your area, let us know and we'll find someone for you. Using abusetherapy.org helps support our show. But do you know what else helps support the show? our patreon. Yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that will never make it to air, how follow-up episodes with former guests and much more, join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com/narcissistapocalypse. And now, it is time for me to get out of my way, your way. Here is my conversation with Lala. Welcome to this week's episode of Narcissist Apocalypse with me today. I have Lala. How are you?
1: Doing good. Thank you.
0: So Lala is about to tell her story of her relationship with her narcissist. And I am just going to get out of her way in your way, everyone's way and the floor is now yours.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to start by talking uh, a little bit about my childhood, mostly just because I think it really plays into um, how I started processing things later on and where I allowed to uh, excuse certain behavior or I've always been like a people pleaser and a fixer and I always want to like talk things through and make it better I'm a very um, empathic person. I really feed off of other people's emotions and always want to make everybody feel good. And that started really early on for me. So, um, I my parents my biological mom and my dad split up when I was almost five, and I have a younger brother. We're four years apart, and before they split up. My dad was in a band. He ran down for a band, and there was my mom and dad and then two other couples that were all very close. And all of us kids, they all had kids really close in age. So the moms, the three moms, while the dads were at work, you know, we always grew up together, playing together. They were always hanging out. It was like our small little community. And after my parents split up, um, my mom kind of went down a, she struggled with addiction and stuff like that, went through down a really hard path. And one of those couples that we hung out with, um, she went through a divorce about two years after my parents split up. And ironically, one of my mom's best friends then ended up becoming my stepmom. And when I was eight years old, my mom, got pregnant and moved to the west side of the state over in Seattle because my little sister has down syndrome and it was just a better environment for her and once she got over there she kind of just stopped coming for visits and we didn't see her that often mostly just kind of during the summer so at this point my stepmom really start taking a larger role in my life and it wasn't until the dynamic, I guess, of co-parenting between her and my dad, she has a daughter previously too. Um, There was just a lot of really crazy behavior that was going on. And my, I get the people pleasing side of me from my dad. My dad's very much like that. Everybody says he's just a talker. You know, he can bump his gums forever and make friends with anybody. And I'm very similar to that. And my stepmom, I I was always told, you know, she was just very insecure and had a hard time with, um, my brother and I are very close to my dad and she's not really close like that back then with her daughter. So my dad would always pull us off to the side when all this arguing was going on. She would, everything would be fine one minute and then the next minute she was just all pissed off and She didn't like that he wasn't very much a disciplinarian, so I remember listening all the time in my bedroom. Something would happen while my dad was gone. We would do something that would upset her, especially my brother, and she'd say, you know, when your dad got home, you would be punished, and she would just get on him and fight with him and fight with him about how we needed to be disciplined or spanked, and he didn't so much agree with it, but she would fight with him and push him to the point that he was so angry he would just like go in the room and and start spanking my brother you know and he'd be crying you know please don't and she used to say you know we're just like our mom or if I could I'd pack up all your guys' shit and send you away but I can't because your mom's not around and it was just the whole environment was completely unpredictable they're One minute you're fine, the next minute you're not. It was just up and down constantly. And it wasn't until in our teens, I was probably more like around 13, she was diagnosed bipolar. But then she went through many years where she would stop taking her medicine, I'm fine, I'm going to do this on my own, and then inevitably a few months down the road, shitstorm would come again. So my dad started playing this dynamic of, he would back her, and he would like discipline us and argue with us. And then, as soon as she wasn't around, you know, he'd pull us off to the side and say, "I'm so proud of you, of how mature you are, and you know just how you handle things." And I really want you, you know, just to imagine you're like a duck, and the way the the water just rolls off the duck. You know, you just whatever she says, however she act, she's acting, you know, she's just insecure and. She's just angry. She doesn't mean what she says. So don't really say anything to her. Why don't you go ahead and go apologize to her? Even though I know she's not in the right, just, you know, go ahead and apologize to her. So, you know, everything's better and it'll be fine. So there was this in front of her, you're not worthy for me to stand up to and I won't defend you or stand up for what's right or what I believe in. And then when she's not around and we're in closed doors, I'm going to tell you at 12 or 10 or 14 how awesome and mature you are and how much I count on you. And I sort of became kind of like my dad's confidant in a way, like we're talking about and he's asking me to understand things that were way beyond my years. And I've always been kind of a a mature person, like even when I was younger, I never really watched a lot of cartoons or did imaginary things like I hung out with older kids growing up. Um, And I don't know if that's kind of why he approached me that way, but it definitely put more pressure on me to feel like I needed to, to be more mature or responsible, like all the time. It wasn't really okay for me just to struggle or not have answers or be flawed and mess up sometimes. So around, 14, I watched a Lifetime movie about a girl who had an eating disorder, and I thought, like, I'll try that out. I think initially my thought process, in all honesty, was I would probably maybe, like, get attention that way, or they would see that I was really hurting and want to intervene or something, but nobody even noticed or paid attention. So what went from like an experiment pretty quickly turned into a coping mechanism for me. And I figured out binging and purging actually really worked for me, um, coping with my emotions. And I, I really felt like I had a sense of control of my environment, what was happening. And so
0: before you even got into your relationship with your eventual, uh, partner who turned out to be someone on this narcissist spectrum, you already had all of these uh, behaviors kind of coming in based upon how you were uh, raised that were self-controlling in a, in a lot of ways. And I guess maybe uh, codependent behaviors in others.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, for sure conditioned to accepting like um this is just behavior that happens and you just need to like kind of suck it up. I was like, you know, I was always told, you know, cowgirl up and put your big girl panties on and, you know, you're tougher than, you know, like just deal with it. You know, it's not that it's unacceptable behavior or we should draw healthy boundaries or, um, it's okay to say, like, that hurts me or that makes me feel a certain way. It was more or less like kids are seen, not heard, and respect isn't given, it's earned. I actually ended up in um, treatment when I was 17 for addiction. And one of the very first counseling appointments where you brought your family in, it was called the hot seat. So if I'm in the hot seat, my family members get to tell me all of the different ways my addiction and my behavior has affected them. And I can't say anything until they're finished. I get to let them say it all. And then it flips back and each one of them sat in the hot seat and I got to say to them, you know, how their behavior affected me and led to my addiction. And when it came time for her turn, we didn't even get like five minutes into it. And she did not like what the counselor was saying to her at all, stood up in the middle of it, called her some names, stormed us out of there, and pulled me out of treatment. I never even went back. So there was, like, no accountability on her end of things. She felt very justified in everything that was going on. And it was more or less that my dad was saying that she had a problem, not really that she had a problem. So uh, later on, I should say that it wasn't until, like, my mid-20s that she actually did acknowledge that things were really unhealthy and they should have been changed, and that it did have an impact on us. Um, my brother ended up uh, struggling with opiate addiction. He was transient, homeless for many, many years. He's been in and out of prison. Um, he actually just had a year clean here a couple months ago. So it's been a really hard journey for him. A huge impact for him growing up also so now today she's not that same person she struggles here and there it'll rear its ugly head is what we call it in the family but for the most part she's figured out a way um to kind of cope and and deal with her mental illness and she has come to us and apologized for certain things and understood how that's affected us and they've continued they're still together they stay married so I think this conditioned me to thinking also with my narc that it is possible for somebody to change and you know maybe you should just like love him through it and stand by his side because we could come out of it the other side and I just kept telling myself this over and over and over again you know like he didn't even know that he had certain he had diagnosed that came later on And he he didn't know all these years, you know, he had been single, not any kids, so he's just learning about himself, and we're going to embark on this journey together, and that's obviously not at all how it turned out being, but when things got really hard, I would just tell myself that, like, no, I'm going to be the person that sees him through it. I'm going to be the person that sticks by his side and... And we'll be 20 years down the road and we'll still be a family and we'll have like accomplished all of this really awesome stuff together,
0: you know? So uh, embarking on your journey with him, let's start at at the beginning of the journey where and uh, how did you meet and how did your, uh, trust form?
1: Okay. So we both grew up in a really tiny little town. Um, his graduating class, I think, had like 35 people. Mine had a little bit more. So we met each other in middle school. And he was really good friends with my neighbor, and we lived way out in the middle of nowhere. So if the neighbor had a friend over, you were definitely over hanging out with them because you didn't have a lot of people to hang out with. So he had his license at that time. He's about three years older than me. And I was around 13, 14. He's coming out, hanging out all the time. We're all hanging out together. My parents really got to know him. My little brother wrestled. He wrestled. So they were comfortable with him, even though he was older. And when I was 14, he went over and asked my dad if he could take me out bowling on a date. So we went out on this first date. And I remember his hand was really sweaty. He held onto my hand, like, really tight in the car. Just, uh really intense, like I felt like he felt very strongly about me, like a lot of affection. I, I I felt almost like smothered. It was too much for me. And after that first date, it was like he was in love with me. And I'm like, I'm fourteen years old. Like this is crazy. It was way too much for me and I'm struggling with my eating disorder at this time. Nobody really knows that. So I very quickly shut that down. And just said, no, I think, you know, it's better that we're friends. And I wanted, I had this desire to go and live with my mom on the west side of the state. Because my goal after high school was to get into the medical field through the Navy. So I kind of used that as an excuse with him. You know, I'm going to be moving to the west side of the state this next summer. We should just stay friends. And we stayed in touch for a while. But, you know, then life took over. And in my um, late teens... Uh, when I was 17, I got pregnant with my first daughter and had her a month after I turned 18. And then um, when I was 21, I was raped um, by my stepfather. Was, he, my, Him and my mom weren't married, but they had a daughter together, and he was around for a long time. So it's just easier for me to refer to him that way. And so I, I totally... Check out at this point. I'm not keeping in touch with anybody back home. I'm just like working, struggling. I struggled with addiction. And I stayed on the west side of the state all the way up until I was 24. And then I put myself into rehab, started going to church, built a new community. And that's where I mer- met my first husband or my only ex-husband. I've only been married once. So, and, and just
0: to clarify for everyone, your ex-husband wasn't the narcissist in in your life.
1: He is not the narcissist Correct. in okay. my life. Um, so it, within a month of marrying him, I figured out uh, this isn't going to work, actually. And I completely withdrew. Um, he really used... The rape that had happened in my life, Um, it was a constant conversation. And I just pulled out of that relationship really quickly. But I also got pregnant with my second daughter uh, within two weeks of us getting married. So I was pregnant, like, right away. And a week after I delivered her, I told him, you know, I just, I don't think I can do this I really want us to have the best shot at co-parenting and being good parents together. But I think we should just have a mutual respect and call it for what it is. So at this time, I take my two daughters and I move from the west side of the state back home to the east side of the state. And I'm living in a rental house that my stepmom and my dad owned. So they're like, you just had a baby, come home, live in the rental house, you don't need to pay rent, like kill yourself, get yourself back on your feet, we're here to support you. And this is when my narc re-came back into my life. And a mutual friend of ours was like, hey, I saw you're an arc. I won't say his name, but I saw him the other day and I told him that you were back in town and he really wants to see you. He was super excited. And I'm like, yay, like an old friend. I lost a lot of the friends I grew up with over the years. That would be awesome. So I talked to him on the phone immediately. He was like, I'm going to come see you. So he comes over, he hangs out, gives me a hug. Like, it's so awesome to see you. I've thought about you throughout the years so much. I've missed you. Like, you know, you were always the one that got me. You were the one I always felt like got away. Like from the very beginning, that first conversation we had, he was saying these things. And where he was working, he was working graveyard at that time. So he would get off of work and come immediately over to my house and hang out with me. It'd be like five in the morning and he'd hang out for a few hours and he was hanging out like every night, but every now and then he would go outside and have to take a phone call. And I, I remember thinking that's strange because it's like four or five in the morning, you know, like who are you talking to on the phone and why do you need to go outside? And then a few weeks later, this friend who brought us back together played on the softball team with my narc's brother and she comes home uh, to my house, and she's telling me, did you know that he's he got engaged? He got engaged just last weekend. And I'm thinking, that's weird, because I had no idea he was in a relationship, let alone in a relationship that he's going to, like, propose to somebody. Because he's also, like, flirting with me. Nothing too serious is going on, but, like, for sitting on the couch, he'd put his arm around me or his hand on my thigh, still telling me like how beautiful I am and whenever I'm ready to start dating, like, you know, don't not think about him, consider him. Um, still, you're the one that got away. So I ask him about it. I'm like, Are, did you get engaged? And he lies to me, of course. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really think this is something you can lie about because I'm pretty sure it's confirmed at this point. You've been in a relationship for like the last six years. And you did propose to her because it's on her Facebook page. So then he's like, "I did, you know. She's really been pushing me this last year and a half to propose, or the relationship's over." And I basically, he said, he just proposed to her to like make her feel better, but he had like one foot out the door at the same time. Essentially, I felt like he was saying if you tell me I'm somebody you want, then I'm going to end that whole thing and swing your way. And at this time I tell him, you know, I'm still, I'm not even legally divorced yet. We were just legally separated. I'm trying to heal from everything that just happened. Like, it makes no sense to me whatsoever to both end serious relationships, jump into another one and just roll all that baggage into something else. Like that doesn't seem very healthy. So I was like, you do what you're going to do. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we'll remain friends and we'll just see what happens.
0: So I have a a question. Sorry for interrupting. So it's, it's, A lot that has gone on here. You have been, you're out of a relationship, one where you have two children, you're at home. There's this guy who you've known for a very long time who is love bombing you, obviously making you feel good, and feels I'm going to assume a certain void that might be happening within you. And then you find out all this other information uh, at first that he technically at the beginning wasn't lying. He was lying by uh, not telling uh, you that this was even going on and then lying once you confronted him with it. So – Right. There's a lot of swirling emotions going on within this situation. Uh, can you maybe describe what, like, the fight that possibly might be going on internally with you? And, and did you like him? Did that was that love bombing at that time that effective where you? Uh, uh, you know, you, you, right here you're saying you're, you're, you want, because you're doing, you, you're actually, you're recognizing the red flag that has happened here and you're taking the step backwards. But is a part of you that wished at that moment that there was no red flag or like, you know, it, were you leaning uh in a positive direction at one point?
1: Okay, so I'm glad that you actually asked that because I've been thinking as I've been listening to your other podcasts about, um I relate to a lot of it, but one thing I haven't related to so far is that um, when I said that, I've always kind of been a mature person or people have looked at me like that. I've always had this internal struggle because in my mind, I know I have like a lot of knowledge up there and I understand right from wrong and I can see the difference between things and what's healthy and what isn't healthy. But for many, many, many years, I couldn't get my heart or my emotions to line up with what I knew was right in my mind. So during this time when all of this stuff is happening, I'm telling him all of the healthy things and boundaries and I'm seeing the red flags, but I was also drinking a lot at this time. So any emotions that I was having or I didn't have clarity over, I was kind of just, numbing out and drinking away so I'm like saying all of these things but I recognize I left that door open with him because I still liked him flirting with me I still I guess in a really unhealthy way I liked that he was pursuing me in that way I guess or maybe I just wanted to like keep him there as a placeholder just in case I did want to be with him So, um, I start sort of, I'm talking with my ex-husband who I'm only legally separated to at this point, and he's really pushing, you know, I don't want to go through a divorce. How about you move back over to the West side of the state? We'll rent a house that is a split level. You live upstairs, I'll live downstairs downstairs. And we'll just explore if this is something we could work through and make work for our daughter's sake. So I felt like if I was going to move forward with my narc or if I was going to move forward fixing my marriage, I should probably go and do that just so I could have that peace inside of me knowing I really did try everything. So I tell my narc I'm, I'm going to do this. You're engaged. So you can't really get that mad at me. You need to figure out your situation. I'm going to go over and figure out my situation. And if it's meant to be, it'll be, and if it isn't, it won't. And so I went back over to the West side of the state and because I'm really trying to work things out with my husband and give it an honest, genuine effort, my narc wouldn't, stop calling me. He wouldn't stop talking to me. And as soon as I moved over, the conversation switches now from subliminal flirting to, like, full-on flirting. And then at this point, it's like, now he's being more open and upfront about, like, sexual desires, and I want you, and trying to, like, have some sexting going on there. So, I changed my phone number <laughs> and blocked him. And he found my best friend's phone number on Facebook. So she comes to me one day and she's like, why is this guy calling my phone? He's looking for you. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, he, he's calling me at like one in the morning or during of the day. Like he, he really needs to talk to you. He really wants to get a hold of you. And she's like, I don't want him calling my phone so i call her from his phone and i'm like what are you doing like that is weird you can't just track down my friends to find me i asked you to give me space and you didn't so stop calling her like you cannot be calling her and he said i just can't stop thinking about you i'm you know i'm going to break up with my fiance um i want to be with you i'm really hoping that you feel the same way too can you please just send me an address? I have something for you. And once you get it, if you don't want to talk to me after that, like I'll respect it. So I say, okay, well, what's the harm in it? I send in my mom's address. He had sent me um, like a pre a prepaid phone or like a flip phone, you know, that you can just buy from the store, like a burner phone, I guess people call them. Yes. And it was already activated and everything. So when I opened it, there was already text messages from him on there. Like, hey, you know, beautiful. I just wanted to be able to connect with you and be in touch with you. And, you know, I know that um, you, he was, I told him I didn't have a phone at the time. Um, But he's like, I know you don't have a phone. You know, please just hang on to this. And I don't remember what else he had said, but I don't know why. I didn't shut off the phone. I didn't turn it off. I ignored him for a while, but he just messaged more and more and more. And then I realized at this point things are not going to work out between my ex and I. And we decided mutually that we were going to go through with the divorce, uh, but we still had some time left on our lease. So we were just going to, you know, co-share the house and co-parent together but respect each other's boundaries there was a door that separated the upstairs from the downstairs so I start talking to my narc a lot more at this point and he hasn't officially broke off his engagement either so I'm we're flirting more and more we're sexting back and forth and all of this stuff sending pictures so I tell him a couple of months into it, I'm like, you're going to need to cut things off with her or I'm going to cut things off with you because I'm not down for the whole, like, cheating shit aspect of it. Like, if you're not if you're not wanting to be with her, you should respect her enough as a human being and just tell her. Don't string it along like that. Like, that's rude. So a couple of months go by. He breaks things off with her. This is in... November of 2011, no, 2010. And I tell him that we just need to be friends. I'm going through counseling. I need at least six months. So, of course, we're still flirting. He comes over to the west side of the state a couple times. We're not, like, sleeping together or anything at this point, but definitely flirting, definitely Having the conversation of eventually we're going to be together, like this is the goal we're working towards. I'm not bringing him around my kids. I'm not telling anybody really what's going on, but we're we're creating this relationship now. We're definitely having a different dialogue. And in June of 2011, he's like uh, he got laid off from his job over here. He was getting unemployment, and he says, "Well, I'm." An, I decided I'm going to move to the West side of the state. And this is when my lease that I was sharing with my ex-husband is over. So I find an apartment, get into the apartment with a roommate and he gets an apartment in the same complex and moves over. So now we're like officially dating, just not living together. And, Oh, I should back up and say one of the first major red flags that I completely go off on the side is while I was talking to him on the phone and still living with my ex-husband, he called me one day super pissed off because he was trying to get a hold of me and I didn't answer the phone. And I was in the middle of a, a meeting for Special Olympics. It was, a, it was a district meeting and it lasted a long time. We had a huge event coming up. So there was like five hours where I didn't answer the phone. And when I finally answered the phone, he's like screaming at me. He called me a fucking bitch. And I'm like, whoa. I don't know who you think you are or where you get off thinking you can speak to me like that, but you are not. And I hung up on him. And I was really strong about my boundary then. So, of course, he sends me all these text messages immediately. I'm so sorry. Um, I just had a really bad morning. So I call him, and he's, I should have never, ever spoken to you that way. I'm so sorry I did that. We've all, I've always known he's had a temper. Ever since we were kids, we always called him angry, his name. I'll just say angry narc. And we always used to kind of, like, poke fun at him because he was really easy to get riled up. But as kids, we just, you know, thought it was funny. Um, So I knew he had a temper, but I just dismissed it like this is who, who, who he's always been. So I kind of, but it was like, it was odd how angry he was at me. And I didn't find out until later on that he was so angry because he was talking to another girl during that time, and she completely dissed him. And his ego was hurt, and he was pissed, so he took it out on me. I just didn't know what was going on at the time.
0: So that came out later. But <laughs> I guess during this this time right now, you are um, – you fully trust him. You, yeah. uh, you've uh, caused – I mean, that's a bad word. Uh, You have noticed a red flag. You said something about the red flag. um, And then he was able to love bomb you in the sense of being able to make you forget that it kind of happened and you brushed it under the rug. So those things, there's like one little thing that's happened. So I guess he knows uh, it's possible for him to continue this in the future. And right now. I guess you've kind of, you're official. You are boyfriend and girlfriend. And I assume now, once this happens, devaluation starts to occur on a grander scale.
1: Yeah. So now that he's living close by and I'm seeing him like on a daily basis and he's not working yet. um, And I'm working, but I'm only working part time. So Now I start seeing he had a little dog at the time and the dog was a puppy and he would, um, he would chew on things or have accidents in the house and he would just come like completely unglued. And I would tell him like, he, just the energy he would put off, the dog would be like on the dog bed shaking. And I'm like, look, you're like terrifying him. You're Just the way you're walking through the house, like, he's so terrified he's shivering. Like, calm down. You don't need to, like, you're getting so angry. Like, that's crazy. But we weren't living together yet, so I'm just like, I'm going to go home, and you need to get your shit under control, and I'm going to leave you to that, and I'll talk to you later. And then, you know, he would say, you know, I'm so sorry. You know how I am. I lose my temper, and when I lose my temper, I'm not really thinking straight and I just need a minute to calm down and you know I, I'm really really sorry I'm gonna I'm gonna be working on that you know like I, I'm gonna be changing that and I'm like yeah you need to change that but just that was it like I wasn't really doing anything else so I and I was so broken and struggled with so much stuff I'm always thinking like I wouldn't want somebody to judge me or hold those things against me. I would want somebody to see me through my faults as well. So I'm like, yeah, I know that's who he is, but everybody can change. And probably subconsciously I'm thinking he's never, cause he told me I've never loved anybody. Like I loved you. I've never felt the way I feel about you with anybody else. So I'm thinking like my love, our love, our bond, that's going to change him because he's never experienced anything like that. Like, he's not going to continue to treat me that way. He's going to be working on it because I'm special and different than everybody else. So I, I used, when he would say those things to me, he's conditioning me for what's going to come, but I'm like dismissing the behavior like, Oh, he's right. I know how he is. Um, and I I would think a lot about my stepmom too. Like, yeah, that's how she was, but eventually she got better. Um, and it's mental illness. So, we didn't live separate for very long. Actually, it was only a few months, probably like 4 months. And then my roommate moved into his apartment and he moved into my apartment. And this is going to be 2012. So, In 2012, that first summer of us living together, he plans a family trip, me, him, and my two daughters, and we're going to go down to Oregon and stay in a beach house down in Oregon. And it stayed down there for like five days and do like a, because I always said, you know, growing up, we would go on family vacations. And those were some of my happiest memories to look back on. And all the madness and craziness that happened in my childhood, I, that for that two weeks we did family vacation, everything was fine. And they were my best memories. So I was very strongly like, I want to have that with my children. I want to create those memories and do those things with them. So I think he was, um, he planned it to to show me and tell me like, I pay attention to what you say and I'm going to help you cultivate and make those memories for your children and our family So, uh, oh, I guess I should say that right before this time, I also found out that um, I had some cervical cancer um, issues going on, and I needed to have some surgeries done to remove that cancer in my cervix. So I was still on the end part of healing when, when we got down there. So we're laying in bed, and I say to him, um, you should you should get up and take the girls down to the beach and like let mom sleep in like that would be so awesome if I could have a morning to sleep in, and he's not I'm talking and his back's kind of to me but I can see he's awake and he's just not answering me like he's not answering me at all I'm like talking to a wall so I'm like babe hey like hello I'm talking to you will you get up and take the girls down to the beach please you know so I could just sleep in a little bit longer. And he's still ignoring me. So I'm getting a little irritated. You know, I'm like, I can see you awake. Like I nudge his shoulder, like, hi, what the fuck? Like I'm talking to you. And he rolls over really fast and he's like, uh, obviously I'm awake. And obviously I can hear you talking to me. And obviously I'm not fucking answering you for a reason. Stop badgering me. And this is a, a term he's gonna use over and over again, but this is the first time you really presented it to me like that. You're interrogating me. Stop badgering me. I'm like, I'm not trying to badger you, but you're flat out ignoring me. Like I don't know if you hear me, if you're mad at me, like I'm asking the same question over and over again because of the way you're acting. And he gets pissed. Slides up out of the bed, slamming shit around, slamming cupboards. The girls are looking at me like, what is going on? And he flips, like just flips. So I say to him, "Um, if you're going to act that way, like I don't want to be around that. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that behavior at all. This is my attempt which I know now he was triggering me from my childhood, but I just react at this point. And I have, it's that fight fighter freeze and I didn't know what else to do. So the only boundary I thought I could draw was if you're going to act that way, like I'm going to load up the girls and we're going to go home. Like I'm not going to be on this family vacation, creating these horrible memories with you acting that way. And I'm not okay with that at all. So if you're going to act that way, we're leaving. And and I'm thinking like by saying that he's gonna be like oh shit sorry like that was really crazy you know like I got like he would say you know you know how I am sorry I just need to calm down but he didn't this time he just me saying that just pissed him off even more so he starts grabbing our stuff and he's like throwing it out the door the front door of this Airbnb we rented and he's just throwing shit in the car just randomly and still slamming stuff around and he's cussing and calling me names and we get loaded up in the car and he starts driving. He won't let me drive and he's just rage driving. I mean, he's driving super fast. He's scaring me and I can see he's scaring the girls. So I start asking him if he will pull over, um, please pull over like let me drive you shouldn't be driving that angry anyways It's you're really scaring me and he refused so it was a seven hour trip home he acted that way the entire way we got home after we got home he did not speak to me for three and a half weeks and when I say he didn't speak to me he did not speak to me at all completely withdrew himself from me entirely and he wouldn't talk to the girls either. If he ignores me, then he ignores the kids. He doesn't talk. Nobody deserves to be able to talk to him because he's so disgusted with our behavior. So this is 2014. I work with extreme behaviors and nonverbal autistic kids. We had just moved into a brand new house out of the apartment into a house. And one of my students... Um, She had a really bad behavior, and she ended up dislocating my jaw and breaking a tooth. So my jaw was really swollen. I couldn't talk or eat or anything else. And my mom brought over a little bottle of Fireball to celebrate. um, We're going to have a fire in the backyard, and, you know, yeah, you guys got into a house. So I had a couple shots. He had a couple shots. My mom left. We went to bed, and in the middle of the night, he woke up. Pissed off at the dog. And I woke up out of a dead sleep with him like raging. And my mom had left my little sister at my house to have a sleepover with my girls. And they were all out in the living room. So I immediately jump up because I'm trying to figure out like what is going on or why he's so angry. And I'm standing in front of the bedroom door because I mainly don't want him to go out there and act like that in front of my little sister because I hadn't yet really told anybody what was going on because I didn't want my family to be like, you just got out of a marriage and now you're in this relationship and and what are you doing? And my family's always been really vocal about talking to me about things. I think because I got pregnant so young, they just kind of always mom, mom talked to me, I guess in that way about how I should be or shouldn't be. So I, I'm keeping it a secret and I really don't want my little sister to say anything. So I'm just standing in front of the bedroom door and I have a very, I'm talking in a very de-escalation manner. My voice is super quiet. My stance is really calm. I'm just trying to like calm them down and he's reaching for the bedroom door behind my head. And He's very clumsy at this point because he's angry. So his hand keeps slipping off the doorknob. And at one point his hand slipped off the doorknob and the door bumped his arm and he snapped. I could see it in his eyes and he grabbed me, threw me down, kicked me, called me a fucking bitch. And I just panicked. So I dialed 911 and then I hung up really quickly. And of course they came out for a, a well check to see how everything was going, make sure everybody was okay. They separate us. They're talking to us. They're asking me, you know, what I want to do. And I'm like, I just wanted, I just want him to leave for the night. You know, I just want him to leave and calm down. Thankfully the kids haven't woken up, even though the police are there, they're still sleeping through it. And he tells, so the officer comes back and he tells me, okay, he's going to leave for the night. Um, I heard there's firearms in the home, you know, where are they? So I tell him, and then the other officer that was with him comes back and says, you know, he he just told us that you were you were keeping him in, in the room, and he wanted out of the room, and you would not allow him out of the room. And he has a little red mark on his arm from where the door hit him. And I didn't know any better, so I just said yes. I, I didn't want him to go out of the room around the kids. I didn't want that around the kids, so I was standing in front of the door. And that's when they tell me that that is kidnapping or false imprisonment it is a dv charge and they handcuffed me and arrested me and took me to jail and i spent the night in jail um i had nobody else i could call i didn't know what to do i couldn't talk to him because of the dv charge thankfully i had just enough money in my bank account to bail myself out the next morning but of course in the meantime he is calling my mom. He called my best friend. Um, he called whoever he could call that I was going to talk to and tell what happened and told his side of the story first, but made it sound like, you know, I had been drinking and I was being a psycho bitch. And uh, basically like it was all my fault. I did it. He didn't do anything. And that's how come I got arrested and not him. So I have to, I don't have very good credit. Uh, I do I work with children in the school district. I'm really freaking out about this DV charge, so I have to put my car that I have at that time up for collateral on a loan so I can hire an attorney. But the charges were dismissed. So on my record, it looks like
0: you the, know I got those, the, if, for if, the DV. If those charges still were around, you pro- you probably would have lost your job. I would assume.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I would not have been able to work with kids ever again. Especially not nonverbal autistic kids that can't advocate or speak for themselves.
0: So how far into your relationship w- with him uh, are you at this point?
1: About four years into it at this point.
0: And so this st- the kind of stuff is occurring. Are Are, are you being... Um, you, your behavior and his behavior, are you self-controlling yourself a lot now uh, a- after this specific thing happens? Uh, are you challenging him? Or at this point, uh, have you kind of given up on anything like
1: that? Because of the way I grew up and the, the things my dad did, um, I wouldn't stand back and just let him, you know, act the way he did. I knew it was unhealthy. He would go from everything's fine to then ignoring us. You can't go days without talking to the girls and then out of nowhere get pissed off because they have dishes in their room and you're, like, yelling at them and grounding them after you haven't spoken to them in days. Like, that's super unhealthy. So I shut down his ability to discipline them, like, at all. I was like, you can come to me, you can talk to me in private, and I will go to them and set out the punishment, but, like, I don't want you to have that interaction with them. And our counselor agreed with it at the time. He did not agree with it and he told me over and over again uh it was very disrespectful he felt very disrespected and undermined because he had no authority um so after this dv charge happened i then i'm starting to like walk on eggshells i felt very defeated because I just couldn't wrap my head around how I ended up being the one that was arrested. And it made me very distrusting of the system. So I'm like extra walking on eggshells at this point. Uh, and not really so much challenging him. I'm trying to like fix everything and make sure nothing goes wrong. He's back working at this time. So right before he comes home from work, like I'm flying through the house, making sure everything's all picked up. Um, trying to keep him separated from the girls as much as possible, um, making sure everything's okay. If I see anything going on with the girls that he's going to be upset about, I'm, like, jumping right on top of it. I become, like, extra controlling with the kids because I just don't want anything to happen at all. Um, so it was 2015 that I ended up, Or late 2014, not that long after the DV charge happened, that I ended up pregnant with our first son. And right after the DV charge is when a whole lot of the devaluation and slandering and all of that stuff starts picking itself up. And he um, is completely withdrawn Really, and at about halfway through the pregnancy, he stops pursuing me sexually. Uh, and leading up to that, we had like a a really strong sexual relationship. That's he isn't. He wouldn't really connect with me any other way. He's not really affectionate. He's not like somebody who would sit next to me on the couch and cuddle me or anything like that. Like sex is, I guess, how we intimately connected because there wasn't really very much romance otherwise. Um, And he said it was because I was pregnant, and he was worried about me pregnant and worried about the baby, and kind of used that as an excuse. But I still thought it was kind of bizarre how detached he was. So it starts making me suspicious. And I look at his phone eventually and find out that he – had been talking to this other girl all the time. And when I confront him with it, of course, he lies to me. And so I call her and I ask her what's going on. And then I go back to him with that information. And instead of it being valid that he lied to me and he deceived me and he's broken my trust and he's creating this relationship with this other girl, The only thing that we really talk about or argue about is how fucking dare I call her. Like that is humiliating and embarrassing. And I had no right to do that. I should have just come and spoken with him and it turned into it being my fault and I'm blowing it out of proportion. She's just his friend. And now I've created this whole scenario and He doesn't speak to me for, like, a month and a half after that. So, um, and pregnancy is really, really hard on me. I get really sick. I have to have, like, IVs twice a week. Like, it's just really not easy, especially the more the pregnancy goes on. So just to emotionally get by and cope, I kind of just tap out myself. I just, I'm like, I don't have the energy. I'm not going to go chasing after you. My feelings are hurt. Uh, I'm just kind of like, fuck you for a little while. And it was our agreement that he would be saving money throughout the pregnancy so that when I had the baby, um, because of the hours that I worked at the district, I didn't qualify for like FMLA or like I only had so many sick hours and then the money was gone. So there was going to be like a month and a half where I was paying. He had me paying half of the rent. I paid half of all the bills and I bought all of the groceries at this point. So he knew that he was going to have to float the responsible financial responsibilities for a short period of time after he was born. Well, when I had him because of the cancer, surgeries. There was a lot of scar tissue. And when I delivered him, I had a massive hemorrhage. I I almost died within 20 minutes of delivering him. I had to have life-saving surgery. I had like tons of blood transfusions. Um, I was, I was really sick. So I wasn't just recovering from having a baby. There was like a whole lot of stuff that went on. And Within a week of getting home, rent was due. And I'm telling him, you know, like, uh, just leave the rent money here and I'll take it over to the landlord tomorrow morning. And he's like, I don't have rent money. And I'm thinking, like, what? What do you mean? Like, you've been telling me this whole time we had this plan. Like, I don't understand. What do you mean you don't have the money? Like, I'm just blown away. And, of course, there's no accountability. His reaction is to get super pissed off at me, and he says, well, I guess you're going to have to call your daddy and have him give you the money because he's always there for you. And I'm like, I am not calling my parents to cover our rent from us having our child, and we're in our 30s. Like, no, I am not doing that. So he gets in his car, and he leaves western Washington and comes all the way over to eastern Washington to, to – talk to his family. And of course he's telling them all of this crazy shit about me and a completely different story of what's going on. And he blocks me. So I can't call him. I, he stayed gone long enough to where rent had to be due or we would get kicked out. So I had no choice but to go to my parents and they covered rent for us. Um, and he came home and acted like nothing happened everything's fine, he's trying to be really nice at this point, doesn't really bring it up, and I didn't bring up the conversation really after that either because I didn't want to throw it back into him not being around. Like, I have a baby, I'm healing, I've got two daughters. Uh, I I don't know. I just kind of, like, left it alone for whatever reason. I think during this time, um, I had shut off all of my emotions, like that was the only way that I could cope and keep going through everyday life. I have to take care of the kids. I have to get up. I've got to go to work. So I just like, I'm not really feeling much of anything at this point. I'm just like, I got no feelings. I'm just autopilot going through the the motions. And I feel really... Stuck. I put a lot of pressure on myself because I had a child when I was 17. I've already gone through a failed marriage. I've got three kids from three different guys. I got a lot of pressure from my family. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to just like make this work somehow anyway. So tapping out emotionally was kind of just my way of coping, I think.
0: So when you say make it work, are y- your mindset at this point, no matter how you're being devalued or how you're being treated is, uh, because when I hear you say make this work based upon also what we talked about before, is this is what life is supposed to be like in the sense, this is what maybe a marriage is supposed to be like. There's these things that happen and you're supposed to fight through them. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had told him really early on also that I didn't, I wouldn't be open or willing to getting married again unless I had been with that person for, like, a decade or more. So we're not, like, legally married through this whole thing. But I had always said that, you know, marriage is a mindset. You don't have to sign a piece of paper in order to be committed to somebody in that same way. So even though I don't want to, like, legally get married to you, my commitment to you is not any different. Like, you, in my mind, you're the same as my husband. So he would bring that up a lot of the time when I would talk about here and there. I would have that conversation of... You know, like, these things really can't continue. It's super unhealthy. And he was checking me, you know, like, so you're just going to walk away. All those things you said about the commitment of us being together and it being like we're married, like, that's just, that's not the case. Like, you were lying about all that. And I'm like, no, I really meant it, you know. So he would kind of just, like, throw it back in my face.
0: He would reverse it on you
1: yeah yeah he would take he term. would he, he
0: would take your words from something you said a long time ago, even though the dynamics have changed and uh, and then he'd reverse that on you and as far as you uh are as a person from when the beginning of the relationship started, uh, i guess we're now i guess two thousand and fifteen or two thousand and sixteen year story uh, i guess from six years previous five years six years previous, you as a human being, how are you different? in those six years? How are you acting that's completely different? And are you wondering at this point, are you uh, like, is this crazy? What's kind of going on? Are Are you wondering who you are as a person at this point, or are you just trying to survive?
1: Um, a little bit of both. I would have moments of clarity, but then I would start feeling like, am I crazy? So at this point also, like I don't get to have any emotions. If I cry, Oh, you're being just like my mom. You just turn on the emotions whenever you want to make me feel bad for you. So I'm emotionally manipulating him if I'm sad. If I get angry or I'm upset about something, he matches that with anger tenfold. So it always is getting flipped back around on me. Plus, he's bringing up, like, my childhood and other things that he knows about my addiction or things I've opened up to him about so I'm thinking, like, um...
0: So he's really taking your vulnerabilities and really digging into them with a knife and, like, twisting it to make you... Yeah. ...for, for to feel the pain of it, number one, so you don't want to feel that pain anymore. Therefore, you you just kind of want it to end.
1: Right. Right. And I'm like, he knows that I'm a fixer. He knows I want to make things better all the time and I don't really, I'm very uncomfortable with people being mad at me. And prior to him and I being together, I'm I'm like a social butterfly. I've got a ton of friends. I'm... I'm involved in special Olympics. I play on all these unified teams. I am the district representative for special Olympics. I have friends over all the time. I love hosting people and making food and watching them enjoy it. And he's just like, he has no friends. He's not a social person. And the few times that we would go out around my friends, he would really embarrass me. And of course, then my friends are like, what the fuck? LaLa? like, what are you doing? You know, like you should not be with that person at all. And I didn't want to, I didn't know how to explain that to somebody else. And I didn't know how to explain like my need to, for the commitment in our relationship. So at this far into our relationship, I'm like, I'm not social anymore. I'm not even doing special Olympics. I don't have any of my friends over. We, he doesn't have any friends, so we don't go anywhere else. At this point, the only people that are going to be registering something's off or it's unhealthy is my biological mom because she was the only family I had on the west side of the state. And I got pretty good at keeping them separated at this point too. So I'm like totally isolated and I'm feeling crazy, like crazy making insane, like is it me? Am I feeding into it? Like, do I make it worse by trying to fix everything? Should I just leave him alone? Like, maybe I'm really fucked up too. I'm, I'm just like all over the place, really. Um, so it was right around this time. Uh, our son was probably only three months old and he got offered a job back in Eastern Washington, making really good money. So we decide at this point And it was in February of 2017 that we ended up moving back to Eastern Washington. And our agreement was that he was making such good money that I would be a stay-at-home mom for the next few years until our son was old enough to get into preschool. So we moved back in February. And things are going pretty good. There's a lot of, like, hoovering that's happening. He's making me feel like everything's going to be okay. So we go through the summer. All is pretty well. Nothing really major is happening. And it, so I was also told after I had our first son, because of all of the surgery and all of the scar tissue and they had to cauterized blood vessels, they were like, it's very, very, very unlikely you would ever be able to get pregnant again. And if you were to become pregnant for some reason, you should not go through with that pregnancy because you wouldn't survive it. Like, you would not make it through another delivery. So we highly advise that that doesn't happen. Um, So we're about eight years into our relationship, and... I had found out um on my birthday that I was pregnant with our second son which was completely uh, unexpected. I just I never even considered or thought that I would have another child. So that was super shocking and so I'm telling him that I really don't think that we should have this child. It's medically not safe and it puts a lot more stress on top of you and we've already been struggling and he went in between, yeah, we should not go forward with a pregnancy. And then he had that week where he just flipped and called me every day, bawling his eyes out. So we decided to have the baby. And shortly after that, he decides to surprise the family. And we're going to go to Hawaii. to get to Hawaii, and it's horrendous. Like, one of the most awful experiences of my life. And then we get home and it was so much stress and so awful that I ended up in my water broke and we had our son super early and he ended up in the NICU and he just, he's bitter at this point. I, I kind of feel like he said all of that stuff to me and said that he was supportive and wanted us to go through the pregnancy but like subconsciously or mo- maybe underlying he wanted me to overwrite it and say no we're not going to have the pregnancy. So it was right after he got released from the NICU on Mother's Day of 2018 and it was probably uh July, mid-July, I finally work up the nerve to look at his phone. Um, Our autistic son really likes watching Ghostbuster videos on YouTube, and he had it one night late after my nerd was asleep, so I took the phone and I start looking through it. And then this is when all of these suspicions or things that I've had in the back of my head, lurking, it all starts being confirmed. So, I see all at one time the amount of pornography he's watching. I see all of the dating apps that he has accounts for. I see that um, he is going. He was going to the bar all the time, and I had no idea. I just. It's at this point I thought. He had been lying to me about certain things for a long time, but I can never confirm it. But now I'm realizing the depth of how much he likes to me. Like he lies to me all of the time. So I sit on it for a few days. I'm just kind of like trying to process it, figure out like how do I bring this up without it turning into an automatic, just huge blowout argument because that's not going to get us anywhere. So I just start asking little questions here and there. Like, have you been on any dating apps or do you have any like profiles like from before? Or have you been on apps recently? And of course he's immediately like, no, why would you ask that of me? I would never do something like that. He's not just answering with a little lie, like, Oh no, not doing that. He would like get elaborate with his shit. Like, I am in love with you. You're my soulmate. I would never do that. Why would you even ask that of me? I haven't been on apps in forever. So then I say, okay, are you sure? Because I'm obviously asking you this question for a reason. And I, I obviously know a little bit of something. So I know you're lying to me. And I would appreciate it if you would just give me the courtesy of just coming clean or tell me what's going on. So he's asking little questions here and there, like, what are you talking about? Or when did you see that? Or he's trying to gather information to cover himself and then create more lies on top of it. And um, when I start talking to him about the pornography, he flat out lies and says that he doesn't even like looking at pornography. Um, He hasn't looked at it in forever. So then I pull out my phone and I open up the Google activity. And I'm like, okay, so can you explain to me why you're, you're looking at it this much all the time when you're at work, when you're at home with me, when I'm in the hospital, like you're looking at it all day, every day. And then he would just say, well, that's not true. Or I don't know how it got on there like that, but I never did that. Like somehow Google is accurate all of these other times, but when it comes to that, it had a super malfunction. And it doesn't matter if I'm trying to have a logical conversation about that. He just shuts it down and then starts arguing about other stuff. So I never get confirmation truly about anything so I say because so much trust has been broken I don't know what is I don't know left from right I don't know anything that you're saying whether it's true or not true you're not being honest about anything that's happening so there's this app you can put like on your kid's phone that shows you everything that somebody's doing on their phone and I tell him the only way for us to stay together or to move forward. Is if I want all of your passwords, I want access to everything, um, and I want to know what's going on. And that is the only way that we're going to move forward. So he allows it, and he says, "Yeah, we can do that." But then moving forward, I just gave him fuel to the fire because anytime he got mad at me, moving forward, anytime I did something that. He didn't agree with, if I questioned something I saw or I asked, like, why is this stuff continuing to pop up in your email? Why are you looking at these things? We agreed that you wouldn't be doing that. He would just pick a fight with me and then he would delete the app and he would change all of his passwords. So that's like one of the ways that he would quote unquote punish me. You know, if I try to get clarity on something, if I try to express myself his response was just to take it all away. I, you know, I don't deserve to have it or not even deserve. Just, I'm not going to answer any of your questions and then I'm just going to create more insecurity in you uh, by taking it all away and make you wonder even more. So this, I told him I had a six month mark. I said, um, you can't talk to me and treat me the way that you have. Um, it's verbal abuse and I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want our kids to experience that anymore. Um, and I I only want two shows a month. You can shoot two shows a month for six months while we get everything back on track. So I had passwords to everything, two shows a month. And, um, he was supposed to change like the way he was talking to me and treating me and nothing changed really he did two shows a month but he would sneak more shows in there but his way of doing that was inviting me like he would choose bands or shows that he knew that I liked and he would say you know I bought us two tickets so we're gonna go together and it would be like a date night and I'm only gonna shoot the first few songs and then we'll be together the rest of the night but that never turned out that way He just said all that stuff to me so we could get to the show. And then it was all about shooting at that point. And it's at this point. So we're like in 2019 now. And because I tapped into all of his vices and his alter ego and the way, all the ways he checked out, he starts drinking more and more at this point. And he's, pretty consistently like bringing home a bottle of alcohol once or twice a week and drinking all of it. But in all honesty, I was so afraid and I had all these things happening in my mind thinking, you know, he's out at the bar and he's drinking and anytime he drinks, he will pursue me pretty hard sexually but he's also not pursuing me sexually, so if he's at the bar and I'm not with him and he's drinking and I'm not with him in my mind, he's like picking up girls or going and meeting girls. So my only way to really um I guess keep an eye on things is I start drinking with him. so if he's drinking, I'm drinking, so I'm like, you can continue drinking. I didn't really say that. I just kind of created an atmosphere where he was bringing alcohol home and drinking at home. But then what would happen is after I had been drinking a little bit, I would get brave enough to start talking about my feelings or wanting to address them. Or I felt, you know, that liquid courage where I could try to talk with him about things and that would inevitably just turn into an argument. So, these arguments in the past, he would just get really, really angry, maybe like throw something, punch the wall, and then he would leave. And then he wouldn't speak to me for a duration of time. But now he's, because of the alcohol, he's drinking and it's turning into arguments and violence is kind of starting to present itself more and more. Um, there's a lot of, name calling, um, call me fucking bitch all the time and would say really nasty things and all of this is happening in front of our children or if I would try to talk about how I was feeling or things that were going on, he would go um into my daughter's room and he really it really pissed him off if they had dishes in their room or didn't take the dishes out, just left the dishes in there. So he would just waltz in there and start looking around for dishes didn't matter if he found one or if he found five or 10, If he found any dishes at all. Then he's exploding about that. And he ripped, they had these lights hanging above their beds. He ripped them down off the wall one night. He ripped the door off of their bedroom. Um, he put holes in the wall. I mean, he would do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then The next day, it would just kind of be chopped up to, well, those things wouldn't happen if you guys weren't doing A, B, C, and D, and I wouldn't have acted that extreme uh, without the alcohol, you know, with the alcohol mixed in with it. You know, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So this slowly progresses probably over about six months. The drinking is happening more and more and more. And nothing else really about our relationship is changing or getting better. It's all just getting worse. And there was an altercation between him and my oldest daughter. Um, He felt like she was having attitude. I wasn't home. And at this point, I don't really leave my daughters especially. I, I don't ever leave them home with him. And I'm not around. Because it doesn't matter if I was gone for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, or two hours. If I leave and they're unsupervised together, I come home to a problem. There's a huge fight. Something's gone on. They're disrespectful. And he would always lie about it. The girls would tell me, like, that's not how things happened." But they're children, and he's my partner, and he's an adult. So it was hard to find clarity in it because if I – agreed with them, and in my heart I knew they were right, then I'm not supporting him and I'm not backing him and all of these other things. So I'm just like always stuck in the middle. So him and her get into it about her attitude, and he says that he wants her phone. And she and her 17-year-old attitude says, no, I'm not giving you my phone. Don't feel like I'm being disrespectful the way that you're saying it, and we can talk to mom when she gets home. And he proceeds to try to rip the phone, like, out of her hand. And this is, this is my understanding based off of what they both told me. I kind of just was reading between the lines. But he can't get the phone from her. Um, He's getting more and more, like, clumsy and frustrated. So she's trying, she tries to run into her room and shut the door. Um, She had a lock on the door at the time, but he picked the lock and he got in there. She had nowhere else to go, but into her bathroom. So she goes in the bathroom. He gets in there. He's still grabbing at her. They're kind of like tussling back and forth. Um like grabs her arms and her shoulders pretty intensely. And she's trying to run to the door to get out of the house, but he's blocking all the doors. He won't let her leave. And she finally is able to like slip out the back door and jump over the fence. And she had like a full on, full on panic attack. When I spoke to her, she couldn't even talk. Like, she could barely even touch her breath. And it was at that point that she said, um, I won't ever come back there. If he's there, I won't ever come back there. So she goes and is temporarily staying with a friend at this point. And I cannot express to him or tell him, like, how hurtful that is or like how damaging it is. Not only that she can't be in her own home, but I don't have my daughter with me and he doesn't really care. He's like relieved. She's not there. So the drinking continues to happen. He's still manipulating on like a a ton of different levels. Um, He is starting to like get drunk on the weekends and pass out, throw up all over himself. Just um, has spent in front of the kids too. Um, on Christmas Eve this last year, we went to his parents' house. Uh, we were all hanging out. I had tore some tendons in my ankle. I was in a boot. Told him I needed his help with the kids, but of course that doesn't happen. I don't realize how much he's drinking until we get in the car to go home. And it's snowing, bad weather. And He's swerving all over the road, like almost running us off on the road. We've got all the kids in the car except for my oldest daughter. So I start asking him, "Will you please pull over and let me drive? Please pull over and let me drive." And he's picking a fight with me, um, telling me I can't drive. My foot's hurt. I'm drunker than he is, but I hadn't. I had like two drinks that whole time we were there. So I'm like, I'm not even drunk. And he's just getting more and more angry. The more I ask him to pull over, the more angry he gets. So we get home. Our son, our youngest son, is in the back of the car screaming because he's yelling at me, and he's picking up on the tension. So I have my daughter, I'm hugging from the car seat. He's in my lap. I'm in the passenger seat. My nurse gets out of the car, takes my crutches, throws them into the neighbor's yard, comes around to my door. Is pulling on the door, but I'm telling him it's locked. Like, hold on. Just give me a second. The door's locked. he I don't know how he managed it, but he ripped the door open, even when it was locked, pulled the whole side panel off of the car. Um, we went inside. I'm, like, just trying to ignore him at this point. Minimize it. It's Christmas Eve. Like, I'm not trying to create any drama. He passes out by the tree, throws up on himself again, probably, like, one thirty in the morning, And I hear noise. I'm thinking he's throwing up again. So I get up out of bed. I come down the hallway just to check on him. He kind of like rolls over and he's with me at this point. Sits up, starts laughing, tells me I'm a fucking conniving bitch. Um, I bet you enjoy this. Don't you enjoy this? And I'm just standing there like I don't even know what's happening. He stands up, picks up the rocking chair, throws it at our Christmas tree, breaks the rocking chair, um, comes stumbling over, like, towards me. And I'm trying to keep him from going down the hallway where all of our children are. And I'm like, just go sit back down on the couch. Uh, Please don't go back there. Please just sit down on the couch. And he proceeds to tell me that I'm being controlling, calling me names, not really making a whole lot of sense, stands up, punches a giant asshole in our kitchen wall, puts his fist through both panes of glass in the living room window, uh, comes back over to me, and I'm off balance because of my foot is hurt. And our youngest son wakes up at this point. He comes down the hall. So I'm like, please just stop, stop. You know, like um, I have our son right there by me, and he comes over, um, grabs me by my arms, throws me down on the ground, um, he kicks at me, and with the most insanely intense look dead in my eyes, tell, says, I'm going to fucking kill you. So uh, I just start saying to him, I called the police. And I'm like, I called the cops, you got to get out of here. I, you know, the police are coming, you've got to leave. Um, eventually I got him to leave he promised and swore that he would get treatment and help uh, right after Christmas. That never happened. More drinking proceeds to happen. Um, and so I tell him, um, I think we should like separate, like, I think I need to move out and, um, we need to like, you need to get treatment. I have things that I need to work on. Like, this is not working. It's super unhealthy. And I'm afraid that you're going to, I'm really afraid that you're seriously going to hurt me. Um, you have put your hands on me several times. The kids are witnessing all of it. And he still just continued to minimize everything. It's not really a problem. He did sign himself up for counseling, but that's only because his sit- sister recently witnessed. She was there one night when he acted this way. So his response was to immediately go find a counselor. But everything he told his counselor wasn't true, just typical narc behavior. Um, We're currently, I just recently left and moved out of the house. We're going through um, legal things. Earlier when we were trying to record, it was his first time with the kids and um, supervised visit. And as I'm on the phone with you, he's calling me over and over and over again, told me that he fell and hurt himself um, come to find out that that's not even close to what happened. It wasn't supervised. Um, everything, just everything is always manipulated. We have to go through so much more. I'm sure based off of all the other stories that I've heard that it's probably going to get worse. And I know that he'll use the children to manipulate the situation to the highest degree. I know that he doesn't have any interest really. Uh, the only interest he has in them is how he can use them to control me or to control the situation. So I know in my heart and I'm a hundred percent sure that like I have clarity today. I, I am not confused. I fully understand that it is abuse and that the abuse will continue to happen unless I remove myself from the situation. Like the only way that abuse is not going to happen anymore is if I take myself out of it. He's not going to come to like some realization. He's not going to have some sort of epiphany. Like nothing's going to happen. That's just going to make him magically get better. And it's not a matter of going and seeing a therapist once a week for the year, and it will eradicate all of this shit. Like I know that that is not reality.
0: So you're still deep into this in the separation process. Correct. You're in the separation process, and I guess child custody and mediation. Correct. And how has that gone so far?
1: Uh, you know, on his end of things, he he flipped between being really angry and manipulative and changes the dialogue based off of who he's talking to. And then he'll flip it totally to the opposite side and say that, you know, he wants to work on things. And, um, it's just because he's afraid to go into the courtroom fully and admit to everything that's been going on. I've been smart enough over the last year to document everything, to keep copies of everything. Um, So when we are in front of a judge, when we are speaking, he just turns on this, like, his tone changes. He sounds, like, very empathetic and sympathetic, and he's been misunderstood. Yes, he has anger problems, but he's working on it. He's going to therapy. Um, So he's just manipulating the court. I wanted him to have no overnight and supervised visit by a court-appointed person, but it's supervised visit by, like, a mutual family member, but as we just saw, that doesn't work because they just manipulate the family member, (laughs) and then they're not even there. So I think he's just going to continue to be as manipulative as he can through the process to gain what he wants. He is, right now he's just angry at me because of child support. That's the only thing he can really focus and go back on is the fact that he has to give me money.
0: And how are you doing?
1: Um, I, I have really good days and then I have other days where I think I was numb for so long. I felt nothing. Um, like just shut it all down for so long that I'll be like doing the dishes and I'll just start crying. I just have tears streaming down my face. Like I'd almost start crying. But it's weird because I can cry, but I still don't have a lot of emotion behind it. It just kind of happens. And the tears just start flowing, but... I'm going to therapy and I'm listening to your podcast and a lot of different podcasts. And I think just having the clarity that I'm not the only one that this happens to. Like, I'm not as crazy as I thought I was. Um, I'm not as bad of a person as I've been made to believe. And that's been huge for me. I think just feeling so alone for so long. And then coming out of the fog of it all and realizing, like, I'm not alone and it wasn't everything that I thought it was. But I think the hardest part about therapy is breaking it all down, you know, and figuring out how you got yourself into this situation and what is in your background that led you to accept things that you've been told or why you went along with it the way that you did or how come you make excuses and justify For so long, you know, more than anything, the one emotion I feel the most is I'm just, like, pissed off at myself.
0: Well, it's, as for most people, it's hard to understand what happened in the sense of, you know, people take blame because they were in it for so long. And... You know, one of the things that I like to tell people—the old thing that I used to like to say—is you know, you had your fence, you had you had your protecting fence, you had a lock. Let's say you were a bank safe, and you had someone who consciously or unconsciously was a locksmith, and over time they just kind of figured out what the numbers were, you know, to figure out the what what your lock was, and it didn't matter who you were where you came from, what background you had or anything like that, you were in relationship with someone who was a master locksmith. Right. And and they were going to try and pick your lock no matter what. And part of that was, you know, finding out where the actual uh, deficiencies emotionally are within that lock. Because different people have different ones and yours were figured out. And if it was you, it could have been Obama. It could have been the queen of England, you know, could have been anyone, you know, that person was going to try and figure out how to pick that lock and they were successful and they would have been successful against this type of person, this person, this person, it didn't matter who. And that's kind of, For me, thinking of things in that way, I mean, you know, it happens to anyone, and there's not there's no shame to feel about that. You know, when you see those documentaries of people that were conned out of their money, a big thing for them is shame and guilt, because a lot of those people end up you know, feeling so much shame about what had happened, you know, they lost their life savings and things like that, that a lot of them take their own lives because of the feeling of what that person took. They forget that that person was a con man or a con person that that did it to them. And it didn't matter who they were trying to get. That person was very determined, you know, and you, and on your end, you don't realize how determined that person is to get what they want or what they need. Um, who, who knows if your partner knows how determined they really are there. That's just the way they are. Right. And when you're having someone who's very determined one way and you don't really know what you're dealing with, you know, you know, your guard gets down and that's what they're looking for. And that's just what happened. And it's nothing to be feel shame or guilt or upset about. I know it's impossible to, understand now but when you kind of eventually have time and able to take a step back you can you'll be able to see more of how everything happened and i think once you're able to kind of really see that um that will kind of lessen over time i mean i had guilt and shame on my end and a lot of that wasn't because of how long it lasted a little bit but um, just kind of the things that I saw and didn 't do anything about, and right. um, it took me a long time to be like i can 't believe I went along with a lot of what was going on, and for me, that was a sense of shame and guilt because I was like you 're a better per-. i was like i 'm a better person than that, and I know I am, but i I, I was part of this. And...
1: That's that part of the fog that I was talking about is or being angry at myself because now that I can reflect on things, I realize um, I was just playing into so much of it. Like I'm opening myself up and I'm expressing myself and I'm saying all these things or what's hurt me in the past and, you know, how proud I am that I've overcome that and I don't ever want that again and not realizing all the time that like he's just making a checklist. You know, of all the different ways that he can manipulate me, or all the different ways that he can hurt me, um, and when
0: something and when, and when something stops working, though for a lot of for a lot of people, like sometimes people start putting up stinks. They'll figure another way to love bomb that are different from the way before, or different ways to kind of yeah. suck you back in. So a lot of times it's confusing because the the methods might. Change, but they might figure out, okay, let's change the method. They might not know what they're doing, but they do it. So, uh-huh. you know, for you, I really hope that y- over time that you will feel less shame or guilt. It's just going to take uh, time. And a lot of reflection of what happened. And I know you're probably going to analyze a lot of, of what occurred. But, you know, just, you know, you're not alone. Everyone out there is listening has been in the same spot as you. And we're with you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm white. I've heard other people, you know, they express you and they thank you, you know, just for this platform and to have that opportunity. And it really, truly... It is amazing how healing just hearing somebody else's story can be or just having somebody else say something that resonates so deep inside of you, something you didn't even put together yourself or nothing that you could talk to other people about, all of those like really dark and lonely things that you've just kept locked away from everybody else because you, or even your own self, because it was too much to handle But to hear that from another person, it's like, it's such a good feeling in the sense of you just don't feel alone anymore. And I think that's amazing, just that you have created this atmosphere and a place that people can tap into that allows them to self-reflect, that allows them to... Uh, be more not defensive but to be able to defend yourself moving forward um and to be able to not be manipulated anymore because you're like oh I've heard that before or um even therapy different therapies that I've been able to tap into I would have never have known about it if it hadn't been for your podcast so like in so many different ways it's just super fucking cool (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank you thank you very much yeah so before we end off do you have any last words
1: no i mean not that i can think of i'm sure that we'll get off the phone and i'll think back on it and be like, oh i should have said this or i should have said that but you know for the most part this is my story and it's the end of one chapter and the beginning of another one and um I'm thankful that I'm able to stand here today and say I'm on another side of it.
0: Well, we are happy for you, too. And we'll have you back on another episode. Maybe we'll do a special watch-along episode. We're going to start doing some of those for our Patreon. And anyway, Lala, it has been an honor for you to share your story with us today. Be with me today. This has been a process of, I think, almost a full week of us calling and uh, missing, missing each other, having bad connection, getting on the phone, you had the emergency, and now we're back today. So I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing the show and being here and being available whenever I called. And um, for everyone out there listening, I hope you have a good night.